You know, I was thinking about it this week, and I looked up a statistic, and since the beginning of our country, we have had 1,100,000 men and women who have died uh, for our country. And when I looked at that, I was just kind of absolutely humbled by it. Um, You think about Indianapolis, that it would be that entire community. Um, that had given their life for that. And many soldiers uh, gave up their lives for their friends, and some of them gave their lives for strangers that they would never know. And to me, that's like a whole other level of sacrifice that I don't even fully understand. And so on this Memorial Day weekend in which we remember those men and women, I also wanted to take an opportunity uh, to recognize any of our veterans Uh, who have served. And so if you are a veteran, if you could just stand for one moment, uh, we would like to uh, uh, thank you uh, for your service. So if you could do that, uh, that'd be great. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for every uh, veteran that's represented here today. And also, we thank you for all the men and women who uh, sacrificed their life uh, for the sake of our country. And loving Father, on this weekend that we remember those who gave their lives in battle, we pray even more fervently that there would be peace that would come to your world. God, help us to be peacemakers in our family. Help us to be peacemakers in our places of work, in our community, so that your name would be made great. And now, Father, we ask that you would come through the power of your Holy Spirit and speak to us in these next few moments and help us to build unity in your church so that others may know that God sent his one and only Son to love the world and so that he might be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the middle of a series called Pray. And one of the things that we've learned is that over 90% of all Americans pray weekly. Now, if we took 90% of all Americans and asked them to do one thing within a week, we probably would never get 90% of all of them to do something. But... The one thing is that they pray, regardless of creed, culture, uh, religion, that they do that. And yet, I have a feeling that if we were to look at your past week and how much time you actually prayed, I have a feeling that some of you would say, I should pray more, like I really should. And I should pray with more passion, and I should be more faithful in my prayer time. And so what we've been trying to do to elevate prayer in our lives over these last few weeks is looking at some of Paul's prayers. Paul was a guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And he wrote prayers to uh, different churches and people. And in week one, uh, we looked at one of his prayers and we learned that we are to pray for what? You remember? Boy, I really thought you were going to be better than the first. You know, like remembering and retention is really important. Okay, 
Week one, we prayed for power. Remember? We prayed for power. Supernatural power that it would dwell within us. You're making me feel real encouraged right now. So I hope you do better on this second one. Uh, Last week, it's only been a week. It hasn't been that long. But we got together and we talked about a prayer and we said that we would pray with, uh, we would be active in sharing our, what? Faith. Faith. Good, good, good. You all remember that one. Good. Two weeks, not so much. One week, we got it. All right. And today, what I want to talk about is a third prayer that Paul prayed. And actually, Jesus prayed a very similar prayer. And it all focused around this whole concept of unity. And so, if Jesus prayed it and Paul prayed it, then we need to pray it as well. And when he talked about unity, in particular, he was talking about the unity of the body of Christ, of the church itself. Not the small C church, the jar, but the big C church, all churches everywhere. And unfortunately, Christians are not always the most unified people. Would you agree with that statement, that we're not always the most unified folks? In fact, since the jar started almost 11 years ago, um, we have received multiple different kinds of criticism because of our church. Here's just a few that I personally uh, have been told. Here's the first one. I would never go to that church because they meet in a gymnasium. Here's another one. All they ever do is show videos. That's all that church is. They just show videos. If you're new today, you're like, I didn't see one. See, look. Uh, It's only for young people. Only for young people. It's so shallow. That pastor never preaches with any meat whatsoever. That really helped my ego that day, I'll tell you. All they ever do is they market their church. They have these signs and commercials and Facebook. That's what they do. Now, I have a feeling that many of you probably have heard some different criticisms about the jar as well. We're not asking for that right now. But maybe they questioned something, they criticized something, they made fun of something about this church. Folks, I have learned that it's just a part of it. That if you are going to do something to try to make a difference, that you're going to have critics. Crazy story. When we first started the jar, uh, there was someone who came to me, and they were a pastor. I didn't know this, but they posed as someone who was really interested in attending the jar. And they gave me all of these theological, like, trick questions to try to see if I would uh, mess something up. And, you know, if I didn't know the answer, which there are many answers I do not know, I said, boy, I don't know. I I can get back with you, though, uh, on that. And so this went on and on and on. And finally, after a lengthy discussion, he said this. Well, I need to come clean. I am a pastor. I am offended by your church and the commercials you run. You think my church is irrelevant and intolerant. You are walking on shaky ground, buddy. I mean, that guy snuck around to try to sneak up on me. And to set me up just because we were trying to do something different to reach people. Folks, how tragic it is when the body of Christ divides. Whenever that happens, 
everyone loses. In fact, I would argue that one of the greatest schemes and tactics of the evil one, of Satan himself, is to try to get the body of Christ to divide. Why? Because he knows that if we are united, we're unstoppable. But if we are divided, we fall and we become very ineffective in being able to share the message of love from Christ. So today, what I want us to do is look at a prayer that Paul prayed that focused on this whole concept of the church being unified. And why? So that God would receive glory. In Romans 15, Paul prays this prayer. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. This prayer is like, uh, why don't you treat everybody like Jesus treated you? Would you be like Jesus the way that he would care for other people just as he cared for you? Would you love other people the way that Jesus has loved you? I want you to have the same attitude, he says, of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Why? We talked about it the last two weeks. We said you pray, and then you have these two important words. Remember what those words are? So that, good, 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 good. So that, and then whatever it is. And this is what Paul says. He says, so that with one mind and one voice. Now, you're here on Memorial Day. You're not at the lakes. You're not doing any of those other things that sinners are doing today. But you are holy people. So... Let's read this verse all out loud together. Don't send me an email. It's a joke, okay? We're just joking. All right, here it is, right here. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 7, he says this. Accept one another then, just as, what's it say? Yeah, as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Folks, if you want to glorify God, if you want to bring praise to God, it all begins by us treating one another just the way that Christ has loved us. We accept each other just as Christ accepted us. This is the prayer of Paul. Why? So that God would be glorified. Now, the interesting thing about this prayer is that Jesus prayed a prayer very, very similar to this prayer. It's in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 23, and Jesus prayed this. He said, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may, what? what's the next two words? What is it? Be one. Be one. May they all be one. May they all be unified. Then, this is the good part, the world will know, God, that you sent me, Jesus Christ, and have loved me even as, and and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Paul prayed for unity. Jesus prayed for unity. Why? So that God would be glorified and that the world would know that God sent Jesus to love a broken world. Now, quick reminder. 
The last couple weeks, we've been talking about praying about certain things as a church. Week one, we prayed that we would pray for what? Power. Power. Good, good. Retention's a good thing. All right. Pray for power, supernatural power. And remember we prayed for, we said you should pray for big things, but very, very specific things. And uh, people have been doing this and some really cool stories people have shared. Week number two, we prayed that everyone would pray that we would be active in our what? Right, in sharing our faith and sharing our faith. And today, one of the things I want to challenge you to add to your prayer life is not only praying for power that dwells within you and praying that you'd be active in your faith, but also that there would be unity in the body of Christ. Why? So that God would be glorified and that the world would know that God sent Jesus to love a broken world. And yet, there really is a lot of fighting in the church, though, isn't there? Like, we can read this, we can pray this, but the reality is there's still a lot of fighting in the big C church. And why is that? Why is there so much backstabbing and biting in the church? Well, tragically, it's because Christ followers perceive other Christians that are just down the road as their enemy. As their enemy. Folks, every church has a common enemy, but it's not one another. It is Satan himself. And when he recognizes that we have a common enemy, then we will be united. When all churches finally realize that we're not the enemy with each other, we're all on the same team, but there is an enemy, then we will be united. It's kind of like this uh, story of my uh, brother Tim and I growing up. Now, if I were on a witness stand and someone said, from the ages of 5 to 12, how would you describe your relationship with your brother? I would have to confess. I didn't just dislike him. I hated him. I mean, hate would be the word that I would have to use. And the reason is, he was five years older than me, and he would often pulverize me when my parents were not around. And I, like a little schoolgirl, would run and go, Mom, Dad, Tim's doing this. Bam. You know what I mean? And that was our relationship. Well, for some reason, my parents thought it would be a really good thing that someone who was just killing, you know, basically their younger son, that those two individuals should be in the same room together. And so they placed both of us in the same room. And it wasn't just enough that you could be in the room, but they got us bunk beds. On top of each other, you're always there. And we shared the same room with these bunk beds. Now, at night, they would come and they would do their little, you know, Jesus stuff, praying with us, singing songs. Oh, and they would leave the room and it looked like two loving individuals were there in these bunk beds. And once the door closed, it was like MMA cage fighting. (laughs) Everything changed in that moment. But one day, something happened that changed us from fighting with one another. And you know what that was? Tom Edom moved into our neighborhood. Now, Tom Edom was an only child. And his parents bought him anything and everything that he wanted. For example, he had a BMX bike. My brother and I would die for a BMX bike. You know what kind of bikes we got? Goodwill bikes. Now, this was before there was ever a Goodwill store. 
Goodwill back in those days meant that people felt bad for you, so they gave you their hand-me-down bikes out of goodwill for the poor pastor's kids. And we had the crappiest bikes there were. I mean, they were bad. And little Tommy Boy also had the very first moped uh, in our neighborhood. And he would drive by and he would uh, push his little horn and go, hink, hink. And we always knew that was code word for, you're losers, look what I'm driving. Well, Tom became our common enemy. We hated Tom more than we hated one another. And so we came together as brothers because he made fun of us so much. One winter, Tom got this, a brand new three-wheeler. And he drove it down to our house. And he said, look what I got, guys. And it was like, ah. And we were like, oh, man, we've got to drive that. So we're like, hey, Tom, can we drive this? And he's like, well, I'll think about it. No. And we couldn't drive it at all. But my brother, Tim, he had the best idea. He said, we are going to take care of Tom once and all. So he goes up to Tom and he goes, Tom, you, you want to do something really cool with your three-wheeler? And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, you rev that sucker up on one side and you keep the brake on the other side and you rev it up as much as you can. And when I tell you uh, to do it, you just let off that brake and man, you'll do it, Willie, like you've never seen before. Now, Tom was very, very gullible. He was an only child. He didn't have anyone else around him that lied, you know. Like, I mean, we had each other. We lied all the time. And so Tom then said, oh, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. And uh, old Tommy boy looked at me because he thought I was younger and I'd tell the truth. And so he goes, what do you think, Chris? Do you think that's safe? And I was like, it's absolutely safe, Tom. You will do a willy like you would never believe. And so here's Tommy on his three-wheeler. He revs it up as much as he can. He has brakes on the other side. And Tim goes, let it go. He lets it go. That sucker shot up. It flipped over. It landed on top of Tom. We thought we killed Tom. Unfortunately, he lived. Now, What happened in that story? My brother and I, we found a common enemy that wasn't each other. And folks, we need to recognize that we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal unity away from the church. He wants to kill the power that could happen if the church was unified. And he wants to destroy the credibility of the local church that is sharing the message of Jesus. But when we stand unified, we can overcome all of his schemes and we should pray for that to be unified. Why? So that God would be glorified and that the world would know that God sent Jesus to love the world. Now, for the rest of our time, I just want to give you Three reasons why you should pray for unity. Here's the first one. The first reason we should pray for unity is because we desperately need each other. 
We desperately need each other. In Romans 12, verse 5, Paul puts it this way. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. In other words, the head, folks, cannot be the ear. And the ear cannot be the hand. And the hand cannot be the foot. If you didn't have all the parts of the body, it wouldn't function whole and together. But when all the parts are together and they're working in the way that they were designed, then the body works. Then Paul says this. He says, we, meaning Jesus followers, are many parts of what? What's it say? How many bodies? There's only one body, the body of Christ. And we what? And we all what? Belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Folks, we are a part of a broader family, and this family has different ways that they express their faith. And we need to understand that unity, though, is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. It's in our differences that we have more strength to be able to do the work that God's called us to do. You know, I grew up in a very small little denomination uh, called the Church of the Brethren. Um, it wasn't very, the name wasn't even very inclusive. Like brethren. Like it means it includes all of us in the body of Christ. But uh, I'm, I remember girls in our Sunday school class would be like, what about the sisterin? You know, because it just didn't seem quite right. But I loved the church and uh, I loved uh, the people and I still do today. Um, but when we started the jar, one of the things that I felt strongly about is that God was calling us to be non-denominational, that we wouldn't get stuck into any bureaucracy that was going on, but that we would take the Bible and we would live out of some five core values that we uh, can function and flow in and we could impact more lives. Now, this is what I got to confess to you. When we first started the church, I thought I knew so much more than all of those denominational leaders. I thought... Those denominational people, they don't understand. We are going to have a church like none other. And I was very, very arrogant, and I would let people know that. Now, this is the problem with God. When you get very arrogant in your life toward other Christ followers, what do you think God eventually will do? He will humble you. He will humble you big time. And that's what he did. The first 18 months of this church, when we were meeting in homes in the very first part, it was the most difficult time of the history of the church. We didn't have all these successes. We had all of these failures. And people could look at it and go, that church is not going to survive. But by God's grace, he decided that he was going to do something in spite of my arrogance. And in the midst of that, he pressed upon me that I should never, ever again put other churches down, put other denominations down, put other Christ followers down, but to fight for unity as much as I can. And for the past 10 years, I've worked really, really hard at not ever trying to put down any other church or any other pastor. We may not necessarily agree on certain things, but I can still be for them no matter what. And that's the kind of life I've been. 
I just want to share with you today that if you ever hear that from me, if you ever get that, I want you to call it out of me because I want the jar to be a church where there is no hint of that kind of arrogance um, that our church is somehow better than any other church. Now, as I have sat in churches my whole life because I was a PK of preacher's kids, there were so many times, though, pastors would take pulpits and they would stand up and they would go something like this. We're not like those other boring churches. And then they would go on with whatever it was. Now, what happened in that statement? What happened? You just took a shot at somebody. You stood up and you took a shot at somebody else. We're not like the chosen frozen. We're not like those crazy charismatics. We're not like those big mega churches. We're not like those small little country churches. We're not like those seeker-sensitive church light kind of churches. Folks, who cares what you're not like? Just be who you are. That's why we do these random acts of kindness because the entire time that we've been a part of the jar, we've always wanted to be outward focused in how we care with kindness for our community. We always want to be that. We'll never not be that. That's who we are. And the reality is this, though, folks, that the frozen chosen church is going to meet some people that the jar community church is not going to meet. And the crazy charismatics that may speak in tongues, and there's a lot of power in God's moving in that in an amazing way, they're going to meet people that we're not going to be able to reach out to. And those small little country churches are more effective than some of those big churches. And some of the big churches, those mega churches, are able to do some things that we, that smaller churches can't do. Folks, we are not going to be a church that puts other churches down just so we build ourselves up. But we are going to be for other churches rather than against them. And if we make a mistake, if we make a, sta- a mistake at all, we should err on the side of always speaking well of other churches. Now, this is what I'm not saying. This is what I'm not saying. That if there is a church that decides to say, well, Jesus Christ was a sinner, or Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, he was just a good teacher, or there is no such thing as heaven or hell, then we would have to say, oh, hold on, that's an error. Because there is this whole lineage of the Christian movement, and those things don't fall into any of that. But we're not going to be nitpicking. We're not going to go and see a traditional church with a piano and organ and go, oh, they're not doing it right. You know, if they were really doing it right, they'd have a band, because a band would really do it. No, it doesn't doesn't do it at all. And the reason we don't want to get nitpicky is because there are Christ followers right now, folks, today and other places in the world who will be beaten, who will be imprisoned, who will be sold, who will be sex trafficked, who will actually be killed for their faith. And what does it look like if there are brothers and sisters throughout the world who are going through that kind of persecution and we're nitpicking over an organ, a piano, or a band? Like, who cares? Who really cares when the body of Christ is suffering? Because we need them, 
They need us, and we all worship the one Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to pray for unity. And why do we do this? Because we desperately need each other. Here's the second reason we should pray for unity. It's this. Because the world will see God's love. Because the world will see God's love. When we are unified as the family of God, the world sees them. Wow, they're active in their faith. They're passionate about their love for Jesus and one another. In fact, I love the imagery in Romans 15, 7. Uh, we looked at it earlier. Paul prays this. He says, Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another, just as Christ accepted you. Now, I looked at this Greek word this week, and it's way, way long, and like I can pronounce Greek words that are really, really small, so I'm not going to butcher it for you today. But basically what this word was, it has a beautiful image that comes to our English word called accept. And the word actually means that it's one who comes and they put their arms around you as if in an embrace. And in the other way, it's an image, another definition is that you actually take the hand of a brother or sister and you walk. Now, this is my question for you today. How did Christ accept you? How did Christ accept you? He accepted you unconditionally, no reservations, as is. And he said, I will come and I will accept you by embracing you and holding your hand and letting you know that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In fact, in Romans 3.23, remember it says, While we were yet still sinners, Christ what? He died for us so that we could be accepted by Him. In other words, before we got our act together, before we got perfect, and by the way, no one's perfect, okay? And if you think you are perfect, you probably should go to another church. And then when you go to that church, then that that church won't be perfect either. There is no perfect church. There are no perfect people. We all have things that we fall. And yet, Jesus came and said, even in your imperfection, I want a relationship with you. I accept you. And that's what we do to other Christ followers. That's how we should treat other people who are in the faith. I mean, someone may be different. They may have a different emphasis, a different style. We accept them. And we go hand in hand with them and we put our arms around to embrace who they are. And when we do this, the reputation is going to change. And I want to tell you, the reality is that the reputation of the church should change. We should look very, very different. Because so often, what we look like are all the divisive things. So often, Christ followers will define themselves by what they're against. Have you ever known that before? You go to someone, you're like, oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, what's that mean? Well, I'm against this, I'm against that, and I'm against them. And you're like, well, I don't want to be against something. Rather than being against something, why don't we just tell people what we're for? So, you want to know what we're for? This is what we're for. We're for every single person experiencing grace from God. That every person, regardless of who they are, that they are loved and they're cared for. 
That there's nothing they can do to make God love them more. There's nothing they can do to make God love them less. God simply loves them. We are for accepting other people. We are for forgiving quickly when people mess up. In fact, Jesus said it best in John 13, verses 34 and 35. He said this, A new command I give you. And if you read that, you're like, I wonder what it is. Now, I want you to know that in the law at that time, there were 613 commands on what you were supposed to do. So they are like, a new one? What are you talking about? There is no new one. We have 613 of them. And what does he say? Everyone together. What's he say? What's the new command? The new command is what? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must what? Love one another. Now watch in verse 35. By this, by the way that you love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? So in two verses, he says it three times. Love one another, love one another, love one another. This is a new command I'm giving to you. Now did you notice why he, what he didn't say? He did not say, have the right doctrine. Have the right doctrine. That's what is most important. That's the new command I'm giving you. He did not say, uh, you know, by your denominational preference, by your music style, by reading the correct version of the Bible. No, what did he say? He said, by the way that we love one another. Did you realize that the only description of how the world will know that we are disciples in all of the Bible, in all of the Bible, it says the only way that they'll know is how? If we love one another. If you love one another, then the rest of the world will know. So why do we pray for unity? We pray because we need each other. We pray because the world will see God's love when we are unified. And the last reason. Because we can do infinitely more together. We can do infinitely more together. See, folks, this is what I believe. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. We're in this political climate right now, and you're going to hear all kinds of stuff of what we're going to do, and this is the hope and everything. And at the end of the day, regardless of who the president is, you know what the greatest hope the world will ever know? Is that there are small little communities of faith called Christians who are reaching out and loving other people. That gives people hope. And quite honestly, I want us to be a church that we do everything we possibly can to demonstrate that kind of unity. I mean, everything possible that we can to support and encourage other churches. And we've done this. When we were very, very small, we did this. We only had about 100 people, and there was a church that uh, got started uh, called The Bridge. And some people came up to me, and they're like, hey, you know, there's a church called The Bridge. It's kind of like getting on your territory. Um, Aren't you a little bit afraid that, like, they're going to take people away? And I think they thought I was going to go, oh, no, fear. And I go, no, I'm not afraid at all. Because this is what I know. The greatest evangelistic strategy that we can have for the gospel of Jesus Christ is to plant new churches. Every time we start new churches, what happens is people get connected. And so I wasn't upset at all. In fact, I came back to the leaders and I said, hey, you know what? We need to pay it forward. There was a small church that gave us $500 when we first started. And I told myself, and whenever I knew about new churches, I don't know about all of them, but anytime I hear about them, we are going to pay it forward. 
And so I called up the pastor, uh, Josh Cooper, and I said, hey, Josh, I said, uh, we want you to know we are not about territory. We want you to be successful. There are many people that can be reached, and we're going to send you a check for $500. And he said, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, uh, just before Easter, I'm driving down Wheeling, and when I drive down uh, Wheeling Avenue, there are a lot of churches, and my Sunday morning routine is I pray for all of those churches, and I pray for the different pastors. And so I uh, start praying for the Nazarenes, uh, pray for uh, Riverside Methodist, uh, pray for the Salvation Army, and keep on going. I pray for High Street United Methodist Church, Common Way, and then I come around the corner. And I'm driving this particular day, and I look to the left, and I see this little sign that says, Oaks Church. And I was like, I have no idea. I don't even know what Oaks Church is. So I'm driving, I'm thinking, I'm going to find out. So that week, I looked up on the website, and I saw that, hey, there's a brand new church that's starting called Oaks Church. So I picked up the phone. I called the pastor. His name's Zach. I said, hey, Zach. I said, my name's Chris Bunch. We're the pastor at the JAR, and uh, I just wanted you to know that we are for you, man, and we want you to do really well. And I said, we want to give you a gift. And so as a church, we sent $500 to that church so that they could have a start. Now, why do we do that? Because we are infinitely better together when we care for one another that way. Um, Celebrate Recovery. There have been many Celebrate Recoveries that have started at different places in our community and other counties. Chuck and his team has done an amazing job of being able to reach out and to start them and to help them out. And some people would say, well, why would you do that? Then there are going to be people that go to that one and not yours. Because that's not what it's about. We're all on the same team. Morning Star Bread Basket. A few years ago, uh, we felt really called to be able to do something to care for uh, the poor in our community. But we weren't going to do it real well. I knew we wouldn't. And so we found this church that does uh, a soup kitchen for people who are struggling or dealing with poverty or homeless issues. And so we partnered with them. And so we give uh, volunteers some time and we try to care for what those needs are. We uh, recently uh, got this new app, the JAR app. And Derek was talking to a friend of his who's a pastor in the community. And the pastor was like, oh, you guys have an app? That's really cool. And uh, we didn't go like this. We're like, oh, don't tell them where we got it from. I mean, this is our thing. We are on the cutting edge of aptness, you know. And so we don't want to do that. No, we gave them any of the information that they needed so that they could do that. It's our honor, folks, anytime we get a chance to partner with another church, just as other churches have been able to partner and encourage us, because we do infinitely more together than we could ever do apart. You know what's so cool about this is that this was the heartbeat of the early church. It was the attitude of the first century church. This is how they thrived. Now think about it. What did the early church have? No buildings, no technology, no fundraisers, no special campaigns, nothing. Well, what did they have going against them? Massive persecution. Like every time you said you were a follower of Christ, you were in jeopardy of losing your life. And yet, these Christians, they would not stop. They said, we believe in Jesus and we believe that he was raised from the dead. And this small little handful of non-educated people, they turned the world upside down. And it's the greatest movement the world has ever known. 
people in their communities would say things, I'm sure, like, uh, we may not believe in what you're saying, but man, those Christian people, they love each other. They stand together. They are always doing something for one another. Look at the way the early church was described in Acts chapter 4. It says this, in verse 33. It says, all the believers were what? What's it say? All of them were one in heart and mind. What does that mean? It means that they were unified. They were living a life of unity. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. I was teaching a small little group one time, and there was, we were teaching on this particular passage. They shared everything that they had. And one of the guys that was there was a pretty affluent guy, and he had a Corvette. And I go, little sharing, a little bit of sharing here. And uh, he did. He let, he let me, after several years, let me drive that Corvette. But that was it. Now, pause there just for a moment, folks. They shared everything they had. You know what that's called? Crazy love. That is called crazy, over-the-top, I-don't-understand-it kind of love. This is the kind of love that, quite honestly, I have rarely seen in the church of Jesus Christ, and I've rarely ever seen in my own life. In fact, in another portion in Acts, it tells us that the Christians loved God and they loved one another so much that they would take their possessions, they would sell what they had, and then they would give the money to the church and the church leaders to say, disperse it however you want. And so if they saw a need, they would make sure that it was taken care of. Now let me tell you the kind of result that came out of this unified kind of love. Verse 33, it says this. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. You want to talk about power. Do you see the power here with unity? Every need was met by God. How? Every follower of God gave of themselves, gave of their possessions, and no individual Christ follower went with not. And can you imagine just what the skeptics of that culture must have been thinking? I bet they were saying something like this. I don't know about that whole Jesus thing. (laughs) And can you believe it? They said he rose from the dead. Like, who has ever seen that happen before? I don't know about all that stuff. But man, those Christians, do you see the way they treat each other? Do you see how they're accepting of one another? They're always loving on each other. They're always forgiving each other. Man, that is amazing. Do you see that they take care of their own? If there's a widow or an orphan, they take care of them. And then they're generous to all of us. Folks, I will argue all day long this. That the world does not need to hear anymore about the love of Jesus. I'll argue it all day long. The world does not need to hear anymore about the love of Jesus. You know what? They need to see it. 
They need to see it. Because people don't ever remember what they're told about, the, uh, about God's love. But you know what? They never forget when they experience it. They never forget that. And why are we doing this summer of kindness? So that we don't get stale and docile during the summer, but that we are being active in our faith to show the kindness of God to others so that people would see why. So that everyone would be like, oh, I should go to that church. Or, oh, that's the jar. No, 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 no. We want to have them see it so that God would be glorified and that the world would know that God sent Jesus to love a hurting world. So we pray for power. We pray that we would have an active faith. And we pray in unity of the church. Let's not ever take shots at other Christ followers or other churches, even the ones that might be tempting that you see on television. But let us be for other Christ followers so that God would be glorified and the world would know about this amazing love that is demonstrated in the church. You with me? All right, let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love uh, to pray with you. So I'm going to invite them up. If you'd like prayer, come on up. They'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. Loving God, help us as your church to be unified within the body of Christ so that you might be glorified and the world would know that you sent Jesus to love the world. Thank you for speaking to the hearts of each person who is here today. And God, help us to live in unity with all other Christ followers. So that, so that your name would be made great. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. Thanks, everybody.